Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today. In last fall's economic statement, the province announced the creation of the Ontario Infrastructure Bank. It's billed as a, quote, new tool to attract capital to help build essential infrastructure that would not otherwise get built. Ontario is the first province to try this. How does such a thing work? And is it worth the roughly $3 billion in initial funding it's slated to receive? With us to explore that, let's welcome, in Hamilton, Ontario, Thomas Merois, Professor of Political Economy at McMaster University, and here in our studio, the MPP for Don Valley West, Stephanie Bowman, who is the Liberal finance critic, but more importantly for the purposes of this discussion, a former senior executive with Scotiabank, a partner at Ernst & Young, and a member of the board of the Bank of Canada. Stephanie, good to have you back in that Thank chair. You. Thomas Marois, good to have you on our program tonight as well. Let's start with just, let's really go back to basics here. Thomas, in your view, the notion of creating the Ontario Infrastructure Bank. Good idea, bad idea, what? Well, let me say that there's nothing inherently good or bad about public banks. Um, they're only as good as a society makes them to be. So the, you know, the idea of creating a public bank to invest in infrastructure, yes, that is a good idea. The, the devil's in the details. Uh, you know, to to really you know. All right, we'll get, get to the de- we'll get to the details in a second. How about you, Stephanie? In yeah. principle, is it a good idea? Yeah. So I think you know, in principle, I'm I'm open to good ideas and new ideas, and uh, and you know, like to see government exploring those things. I think in this case, we have uh, an example though of a government where um, we we know that we have some trust issues with this government, and so when you talk about creating a new public institution, uh, dealing with taxpayers' money, you have to wonder if uh, that money will be uh, well spent. Now we're not going to get too partisan here today. I just I <laughs> no. burn your credentials as somebody yes. who's got the financial, you know, underpinning to participate. No, in this, but so. I, th- I think as Thomas said that um, inherently they are neither good nor bad, mm-hmm. and and so really what it comes down to is what are they set up to do? And I, and I can talk more about that in terms of what I would have liked to see this this bank set up to do. Okay, well, Thomas, if the devil's in the details, what are the details that you have your eye on at the moment? Well, actually, going back to Stephanie's comment, question of trust. That is, for me, first and foremost, the, the, the question, and, and that's a question of governance. And the detail on that really needs to be filled out. And it's it's early days, but what is vital is to, when you create these infrastructure banks, that they have capacity and mechanism, institutional rules that draw in accountability, and ensure transparency to the general public, but also ensures that the, the community is heard, that the, the affected communities that are going to benefit or not from the investments in infrastructure have a voice over that infrastructure and the conditions under which it's financed or not financed. And that is missing. Uh, and I think the the future of the governance of the Ontario Infrastructure Bank is, is the linchpin. If you get that wrong, everything from there becomes uh, a magnifying problem. 
Do you sign on to much of that, all of that? I do. You know, mm -hmm. I think about, um, you know, talking about public institutions. You know, you look at the Bank of Canada, where the governor of the Bank of Canada is completely independent from the finance minister. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there were some dealings on that a number of years ago. What, you know, and that, that, was, that was really the, for, uh, the, the, the push to make sure that that governor role was independent from government. So I think that is where, again, uh, we will have some questions around how independent will this bank be from government's uh, influence and decision-making. And, and that's really, again, comes back to the, the processes, the mechanisms, the, um, the mandate and authority that the CEO and board are given. And when does, when does cabinet or the finance minister, uh, when would they be involved in, in decisions around deals? Given that they've created it, though, how do you ensure that it does stay independent? Well, I think, you know, some of the ideas that I would have are making sure that um, there's transparency around limits, you know, limits for the kind of deals that get done, uh, as well as the, the sectors that they're investing in. So again, when we look right now at the sectors that they're targeting, uh, you know, long-term care homes is, is one example that concerns me. There's already a lots of capital available to invest in long-term care homes in the private sector. That is happening today. So the question becomes, what need for there is more capital to go into that sector. And so that then begs the question of is there a different motive and you know for for why we why long-term care homes are one of the target sectors for this bank. Thomas, where are you on that issue of limits and sectors? Well, I actually want to go back to the question of independence. So I have a very different view on this. So I, I worked and studied with public development banks around the world. There are more than 900 still in existence. Combined, they have over $49 trillion in combined assets, you know, total assets around the world. These are nothing new. They are nothing unique. Um, and the governance models vary. And in fact, the best run uh, and most effective infrastructure banks or investment banks are ones that combine government representation alongside strong societal representation and clear roles for small and medium-sized enterprises, for municipalities, for workers, um, you know, and specific rules around gender equity and so on. And what you need to create a, you know, catalytic public bank is a connection between government and society in general that then can co-create the objectives and, and, and fund the necessities of society. I think the independence is, is, a, is a false independence. You don't want the government to have you know, a direct control and, and to shift and say what the bank can do at any given time. But you do want a, a development bank or an infrastructure bank to be a policy-driven bank. And it's very difficult to be a policy-driven bank if you do not have a cooperative and collaborative link with government. Uh, and that's why you need to form de democratic forms of, of governance that connects it to society, that holds it transparent and accountable so that, yes, you have say with governments. Government is an important part of society. We want that in that. It is a public institution. But you also must be held to account directly uh, to those sectors of society that are going to be impacted. So I'm, I'm not, you know, there's, independence is a big word. Um, but I think the bigger word is democratic and holding it to account. And well, that, let me find out what that means. Uh, Stephanie, with yeah. you on this one. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're talking governance, presumably you would look rather dimly if the governance structure of this were a board made up exclusively of conservative MPPs. So <laughs> yes. who do you want to see there that, that would prove its independence yes, and democratic and, and, nature? Absolutely. And I think, I think talking about the word independence, what I really mean is not having undue pressure or interference 
from the government or specific MPPs in decisions around deals that get done, where those deals are done, and who participates in those deals. So that's really what I'm talking about. In terms of representation, I agree with Thomas. You know, I had a private member's bill last year that was actually about diversity on <laughs> on corporate boards. And so I would uh, echo his sentiments around having uh, representation from groups who are able to look at the criteria around does this deal or a deal in front of the in front of the team uh, advance the public interest uh, that is again part of the mandate of the bank. So I think that comes back to what is the mandate of this bank and again some of the sectors that they're they're focused on. I would rather see uh, banks like this. Uh, doing things to advance the growth of the economy in Ontario. Uh, so, for example, in new sectors like, you know, whether it's green energy or genomes, other, you know, sectors that have trouble attracting capital in their early stages because they have higher risk, because they're new. And so governments can actually play a very effective role and have around the world in developing those sectors, for example, high tech. Do you have any reason to believe that that won't be part of the mandate of this new bank? Well, this is, again, Steve, you know, I guess where I have to get a little bit, you know, Political, and uh, but I mean, you know, really, I'm here to make sure that that uh, the government's held to account. Uh, uh, Professor Marwa used that word. Accountability is actually a big part of what I will be watching for, as this bank is, you know, advances its its mandate. Um, you know, basically making sure that there are transparent processes for bidders to deals, making sure that again there might actually be some very uh, uh, discreet and, and documented processes around how do we ensure that there is no not in interference in the, again, that when I use that word independent, that's really what I'm talking about, that the, the bank would be operating independently of a specific minister saying, look, I want this deal to get done with this company uh, in this area, etc. We don't want that. We do not want that, okay. no. D Thomas, can I get you on that, for example? What what kinds of, you know, you heard Stephanie say that there are there are some things that, that she would like to see the bank get into that it may not typically deal with, genomics, uh, you know, futuristic stuff like that. Should it look beyond sort of bridges and subways and, you know, that kind of typical infrastructure? No, not at this point. Uh, you want, I mean, at least in the beginning, you want to deal with fairly, uh, you know, significant, important, uh, but key sectors. Uh, and, and really, right now, we're talking sustainable development goals, we're talking about green and just transitions. And what is really required is, is direct support to municipalities for the greening of retrofitting of buildings, of uh, you know, solar, wind power, and so on, where the pace, the scale, and the terms of the lending are appropriate to the needs of that transition. And that is the urgent task right now. That's the urgent global grand challenge that we must all, you know, come to terms with, which is, you know, ensuring the future sustainability of our, our planet. And that means decarbonizing. And so decarbonization is really the key issue right now and ensuring that the funds are going into that sector. And this is where a public bank can have an immediate and catalytic impact by really bending the sector and, and enabling that kind of investment. And I would say, you know, much more as a direct public investment. So if you look at the Canada Infrastructure Bank, its mandate is to mobilize private capital, but it's actually done relatively poorly uh, and on that scale. And that's, I think, in many ways fine because it's done really well on the side of partnering with municipalities, uh, you know, energy providers, indigenous communities, and you can push forward with that necessary green transition 
in ways that are also, you know, economically just and, and provide decent jobs and protect jobs through public policy. Okay, let me get let me follow up on this because I, I I'm delighted to say I may have found a point of departure between the two of you here. You seem, Professor, to want a more sort of narrowly focused mission for the bank. You sound like you want a broader focus. Who's right? Well, you know, I I think uh, what I would say is that the there's no evidence so far that this government is prioritizing decarbonization initiatives, and so I agree with um, the professor that. The Canada Infrastructure Bank is doing that and doing it well, and so that is actually the kind of goal I would like to see in this in this infrastructure bank. Um, but I don't see that yet, and so I I think that that is actually a risk in terms of, as I say, where the capital will be. Uh, um, they'll be competing for capital, right, with other with other uh, projects and financing for things like. Um, uh, you know, again, uh, the, the green sector. And we want to advance that here in Ontario. We want that, I want that, to be a growing part of our economy and uh, versus building long-term care homes. So the three sectors that this bank is set out to, to focus on initially, long-term care homes, um, uh, energy, as well as affordable housing, how will, how will they uh, you know, provide the kind of returns that institutional investors want in building long-term, uh, sorry, in building uh, well, affordable housing. Okay, let me follow up on that because, you know, you used to work for a bank. Mm-hmm. You know that banks like to make money. Exactly. Is this bank <laughs> going to make some money for the province of Ontario? Well, uh, again, this is this is one of the questions, right? So uh, are they going to be making money for the taxpayers or will the taxpayers be paying money to for-profit companies? Do we so, know the answer to that yet? I mean, I, the, the finance minister has been asked directly about that and has not answered the question whether or not this is about privatizing public services. That's what I believe it is about. Um, you know, so for example, example, when you look at things like highways, you know, we know what happened with Highway 407. That's a toll highway because it needs to deliver a return to its its investors. In the same way, uh, you know, recently at, at uh, pre-budget consultations, one of the, the uh, Conservative members mentioned building schools and hospitals. That suggests privatizing our public hospitals uh, to, to investors who will be looking for a return greater than the 3.5% the or 4% they get on government bonds. Not to get too far off the path here, but private companies build all those institutions anyway, right? They build them, but they don't have an ownership interest. So again, if you look at what are we, what are we trying to, why do we need to provide financing to those organizations? They already, as you say, can participate through Infrastructure Ontario, right? We have Infrastructure Ontario that is a similar organization and I think we should you know could talk about that how will it differ and how will they work together infrastructure Ontario's mandate is also to build infrastructure Mm. okay Thomas can you help us on this issue of whether how important is it that this bank makes money for the taxpayers of Ontario it's not important at all actually public banks have existed for decades in some cases more than a century Um, many of them have no profit mandate at all and they don't need to. There's no need for the Ontario Infrastructure Bank to ever turn a profit a day in its life. It's not, that's not its purpose. It should be based and assessed on its ability to deliver on policy objectives. Now, if it does generate a return, that's fine. Then you can look at different ways by which the returns can be directly plowed back into new investments to increase the scale and scope of the Infrastructure Bank. That's a well oiled you know model that can be drawn from other examples around the world or there are other examples where the public banks and development banks also pay dividends to the government and the government can use those dividends for whatever it likes i'm very concerned that in the construction and the building of this bank that they really have not done their homework 
they, you know, they haven't looked at successful models of infrastructure and public development banks around the world and really thought, you know, what do we want this bank to do? Uh, you know, is it to advance the public interest? And in terms of the returns that it may generate or not generate, do you even do you want those to go back into the bank? Do you want to pay out the government? What do you want to do with these? These are hugely important questions that have simply not been subject to any kind of, you know, thoughtful uh, process of looking around what the world's finest examples of development banks are. Stephanie, let me give you the last 20 seconds here. Presumably, we won't know for many, many years whether this thing is a success. What criteria will you be looking to to see whether it's working? Well, again, uh, you know, I think this uh, this bank is a, is a ploy to make the, the government's rich friends richer, to be honest, Steve. And so I think that looking at uh, whether or not the deals that get done um, cost the taxpayers more money. I think this actually will end up costing taxpayers more because we will be uh, having to give returns in greater in, in excess of what they would get on debt uh, to these indiv- uh, ind- companies. And so that, I think, will cost the taxpayers more money. And that's a waste, and that's a shame. So I think that's really where um, I will be watching to make sure if uh, if this government is it makes this bank accountable for uh, the, the $3 billion that it's getting in taxpayer money. And we will continue to watch it all as well. I want to thank both of you. Stephanie Bowman, the MPP for Don Valley West. Thomas Marois, Professor of Political Economy, McMaster University. It's good of both of you to join us here on TVO tonight. Many thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.